Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular, completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. In this episode, we're going to talk about all things divorce, drinking, and sobriety. My guest today is Christy, aka the creative badass. She's a life coach, educator, mixed media artist, self-proclaimed book nerd, and an indie mama of two teens. She uses the pillars of creativity and sobriety in her work with women as they heal and recover from divorce. Christie's work centers on disrupting the stigma that surrounds divorce and turns it from a soul-sucking experience to one that is soul-defining. Christie also quit drinking a thousand days ago, or just a bit over a thousand days, and in the process of her separation and divorce and post-divorce life, realized that a bottle of wine is not self-care. We're going to talk about healthy ways to cope after divorce, what having a creative outline means for most women, why there's danger in trying to just push through the emotions, and how she turns her story 
into support for other women navigating the shitty waters of post-divorce life. So Christy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, we connected on Instagram and I absolutely loved the work you do. And I was so proud when you reached out and said that you were basically at a thousand days after giving up alcohol, which is such a huge and exciting milestone. And also the work you do with women and divorce. I know a lot of women turn to alcohol when their marriages are tough or after divorce. And it's an area that I, in full honesty, have no experience with. I've been married for 19 years. And so I know it's something that a lot of women who listen to this podcast have gone through or are going through. So I definitely wanted you as an expert to talk about it. Great. Let's dig in. I'm excited. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about who you are in your story. Yeah, I'm someone who, you know, was a high functioning. It's so similar to your story, like that high functioning. I don't like to call myself an alcoholic, but someone who drank a lot and yet kept everything together. I was a teacher. I had two young kids and I was working on my doctorate and never missed an assignment, was never late for work. My kids got to where they needed to be. But, you know, once like dinner time came, it was a glass of wine at five o'clock and then a glass of wine when I was cooking dinner and then maybe a glass with dinner. And then definitely one after put the kids to bed. And before you know it, there is a bottle a night and that wasn't a problem. And then it all of a sudden became a problem because then I needed more and more and more. And I think in the last bit of my marriage, I was just numb and absent in so many ways for myself and for my ex-husband. And then definitely like post-divorce, I, you know, it makes you feel so shitty drinking. You're not, I didn't feel good about myself. I didn't feel good about my, what my future might bring. I didn't feel good about, about anything, but I was always there for my kids. I never let it interfere with my kids, thankfully, but it's just a hard place to be in. Yeah. I mean, your story is exactly my story, right? It's the exact same thing. And I think it's the story of so many women who just exactly come home 5pm time of day, open a bottle of wine and over the course of the night, finish it. And somehow that suddenly turns into daily and more and more and I want it and is it enough and waking up feeling like crap and that whole cycle. Yes, exactly. And it's hard to dig yourself out of that when, you know, I looked around and the women who had become my friends, which I was probably sort of subconsciously filtering, that's what we all did. So it was normal. I didn't really know any moms that weren't drinking. That's was my group I was in. So that made makes it, you know, you're getting being validated by the, the what others are doing. So that was um a hard place to be in too. Even though I Googled, like, you know, what does problem drinking look like? Took all those tests. It never really clicked because you always want to find that rationalization like, oh, no, it's so-and-so is worse than me. So I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so tell us about how you're drinking sort of, you know, when you were still married, separation and divorce. And at what point you decided that it was time to let it go? Um, In some ways, probably... When I separated and moved into my own house, my own space, then there was sort of no, no right. I can't think of the right, the word right off the top of my head, but it became especially when my kids were with their dad. Yeah. I had the house to myself 
And I remember a girlfriend who had gone through a divorce a little bit earlier than me, a couple of years before me said, make sure you have lots of wine in your house when your kids are, you know, with their dad. And I'm like, great, I can do that. And I know you're like, good tip, good tip. Right. Yeah. Hot tip. Thanks. But I'm like, that's, it just made me feel so bad, but that's what I ended up doing out of boredom, out of numbing, out of not, you know, I'm like, maybe if I drink this bottle of wine, I'll start to feel better, even though in my head, I'm knowing that that's not going to help me at all. And I mean, it never got to the point. I think there's always that when you talk about this drinking problem, I think right away, people go to, I always go to Frank Gallagher on um, Shameless, you know, passed out behind the dumpster in a pool of vomit. And problem drinking is not like that. Oh my gosh. It is such a tiny, tiny percentage of people who either struggle with alcohol, drink more than they want to, or they need to, or wake up feeling shitty and don't remember stuff from the night before or regret drinking that much. I mean, I would say, you know, it's now they don't even use the term alcoholic, really. It's, it's alcohol use disorder, and it's definitely a spectrum. And, you know, God knows I was on the spectrum for sure. Yeah, but a lot of women I work with obviously are as well. And a lot of women out there who, you know, look like they have it all together and just like to go out to the wine bars and the happy hours and wine with lunch and dinner, but it is a large proportion of society. You know, I just did a whole episode on the mom wine culture and the statistics in the number of women who are drinking problematically is skyrocketing. So it's not just that. Yeah. And then there's also just that shame of talking about it too, sometimes like, you know, going to a friend and trying to talk about it, like, cause you, sometimes that judginess comes in because that's what we we're used to like that problem alcoholic that's that stereotypical alcoholic so um yeah just you know not feeling good not feeling like myself being able to really deal the way I needed to with all the stuff that you have to deal with when you are going through a divorce and a separation and a lot of anxiety some depression like that just makes all that worse and I guess when I decided to stop drinking I um I'd had a pretty um, crazy weekend with some friends. We'd gone up to like the winery area and done all the wineries and all those things. And I was just, you know, I'm thinking my, I need a detox. I need to just not drink for 30 days. I just need to reset myself and I, you know, could lose some weight and, you know, and then maybe I'll start feeling better about myself mentally and all that stuff. And then um, when I quit, I felt so good, like right away, like I want to say like within three or four days, really? I felt, I've never felt more clear headed. I was sleeping. I woke up without a headache. Like I just was like, wow, this is what life is supposed to be like. Yeah. Not it, So I, it hit me pretty quick. And it, luckily I had a couple of good friends who, um, have been sober for 20 years. So they were there to support me in, in just a really gentle way. And, you know, so I was only going to quit drinking for 30 days, but then I felt so good. I'm like, I'm going to do it for a year. And then midway, you know, at about six months, I'm like, I never want to drink again. This episode is brought to you by better help. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, 
But one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. That's amazing and awesome. And I am so happy that you had those friends to support you as well, because it does really help to either know in person or just virtually or just listening to this podcast and hearing amazing women like Christy, who are also smart and together and great moms and doing all the things and struggle with this to just have that example that you're Mm -hmm. not alone, you're not damaged, you know, you can pull yourself out as well. Yeah. And I think a big thing for me too, like right from the start, when somebody asked me why I wasn't drinking, I just said, Hey, it's fucking up my life and I deserve better. And I was just, that's what I told them. Yeah. And they can't, there's no comeback to that. Like I yeah. discovered earlier, like, what does somebody say to that? So I think that that, I was just really honest. I wasn't, I know some people feel different, you know, different comfort levels. Like I'm allergic, they or whatever. They say different things. Like I'm on a cleanse, I'm on a health thing. And everybody has their own way of saying that, but yeah. I think just from where I was in my life and my age too, like I was 49 when I quit drinking. And Mm -hmm. I think that by 49, it's like, I'm not going to put up with shit anymore. So I think that it was just a different, and it's harder. I think when you're in your twenties or thirties and you're in that party-ness, maybe, I don't know, but. Well, and I think it's also really good. You know, I know you help women sort of in that, the post-divorce phase mostly. And it really is a season for reinvention and a new season of life. And you want to be at your best and sort of explore the world, you know, on your own, but also alcohol really weighs you down and keeps you small and keeps you sort of tethered. Oh, at least Mm -hmm. for me, a lot of times on my couch, like that was me drinking. Yes. You know, the highlights were out at wine country or at a girl's night, but that was not 80% of my life. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You my world got very small when I, um, you know, when my kids were with their dad, I, it was me on my couch. Um, and sort of being afraid to figure out what to do next because yeah. I had no confidence in myself because I was, uh, alcohol just, uh, you know, now post, you know, quitting drinking and just hitting a thousand days, like all the reading I've done on how it affects your brain. And it, it just, it's, it's mind boggling. Yeah. I mean, I do think the biggest thing it does is it just robs you of confidence. You know, we think that it makes us confident and free, but you know, when you step away from it, you realize how sort of fearful and defensive and, you know, you use it as such a crutch that you don't let yourself see that you are amazing and can explore the world without the crutch. Absolutely. And also that, you know, making you make a mistake, and then you learn from that mistake. I think when you're drinking, 
you're paralyzed. You don't even want to make those mistakes because you think that that says something about who you are. Yes. As opposed to when I got rid of it, it was like, oh, you know, I can go out and make a mistake and learn from it and figure stuff out. But before that, not so much. Well, so tell us about how, you know, you work with women in your coaching practice and help them sort of heal themselves emotionally and discover what is that new phase of life for them? What are they excited about? Yeah, so usually when I women come to me, they're they're just stuck. They're in a, they've maybe, you know, six months post-divorce or some, for some women, it's, you know, four or five years post-divorce. There's sort of no right time to work with me, but it just depends on where they are, but they're usually stuck and they know that they can see the other side, but they can't figure out how to get there. And a lot of the times it's because they haven't really taken that active part to heal. I think sometimes we get fooled by thinking healing's passive, give it time, you know, you need to, it will just come, you'll be ready when you know it, but there are some active ways you can heal when you're um, processing all the stuff you're going through and acknowledging the stuff you've gone through and how that's made you stronger and how you get to rewrite your story at this point. So uh, the first part that I, I don't, require women that I work with to be completely sober. If they're still drinking, that's okay. I do ask them to maybe like for the 12 weeks that we're working to really either sort of go into that sober curious space where they maybe don't drink for 12 weeks, or I help them to really start noticing when they're drinking or why they're drinking or how they're drinking. It's just one piece of the work that I do. Like I'm, I'm not a sobriety coach. So if women don't come to me to get sober, but it's a piece that I kind of help explore with, with, with my clients, because I think it is a big, uh, I think we think it's an answer to the divorce thing, like to our loneliness, to our next stage. And I think it just, it stops us. And I think like, at least in my coaching practice, like I do, you know, one of my favorite things is transitioning women from sobriety coaching to life coaching, because there's so Mm -hmm. much underneath And I can assume it's the same way with divorce. Like there are reasons we drink, right? There are a million reasons why we started to rely on alcohol and then got sucked in to the addictive qualities of it. But it's really hard to uncover that if you were thinking about drinking, drinking and recovering from it. You actually need to get some distance from alcohol because it dominates so much of your your thoughts and your habits and your free time and your mornings. So with coaching, I'm like, okay, you need to get away from the drinking cycle and let me hold your hand through that. And then let's do the awesome work that's underneath it. I'm sure a lot of women work with you who don't drink as heavily as you did or I did. But if you are struggling with drinking or stopping drinking, taking that out of the equation really helps you solve all the other stuff. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, just, I even go go back to my own journey. I did not start healing and working through stuff until I quit drinking. There was just no way my brain was ready to, to heal in the way that it needed to do, which emotionally, mentally, physically, like all those things, I was just pretending that I was healing. So that absolutely, I love how you just separated those two. Um, yeah, and then a big part of the, this, the work that I do with women in my coaching, which is a little bit different, I use a lot of creativity in my coaching because I really 
you are at this stage post-divorce when you are creating a new life, you are creating a new identity. Like everything shifts when you go through a divorce. Your world is different. Some things maybe look the same, but fundamentally, like everything is different. Your friendships are a little bit different. Um, Your relationship um, with your family is a little bit different with the rest of the world. Like it just, it sort of impacts you in all the different spheres. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. So I really do a lot of creativity, um, which is nothing to be scared of. I know a lot of women hear that word creativity and they like run run away, but um, most of the women I work with do not identify as creatives. Um, they come to me, they're They maybe had a bad experience in kindergarten with, you know, painting the sky the wrong color and they just, you know, shut down that creative part of themselves, Mm -hmm. but everybody is creative. So I really work on getting that out because to me in the sketchbook that I use and the process that I go through, that is where you start to build confidence and start to rebuild yourself is in the sketchbook and you get to try stuff out before you go out like into the big wide world. So to me, that's just become such, and that's how I really healed and, and worked on um, processing all the stuff I went through. Yeah. Um, it made such an impact on me. So um, I, so, so thrilled that I get to share So what are the things you talked about active healing? And I really liked that versus sort of just trying to heal, you know, time, <laughs> it takes time. Right. Time yeah. What does that active healing actually look like in practical terms? And I assume the creativity and you mentioned a sketchbook is part of that. Yes, absolutely. So it, to me, it's, um, I do a lot of journaling with my clients. Um, the, and the idea is that they will continue that in their, in their home, uh, you know, daily, daily-ish. So journaling, uh, the sketchbook, um, looking after your uh, physical health, whether that's, you know, walking around the block or just sort of getting it's anything that really gets emotions and all that stuff that gets stuck in your head, like out through your body. Meditation, sometimes it just really depends on the client and what they need. I don't have like a, uh, 
a prescription pad where I just check, you know, like here's, you know, follow this to the, to the letter. It's much more like, okay, let's see what you need, where you are. But I think that any of those things that really help process and get stuff moving um, in a safe way uh, can be really good because when you go through divorce, your friends and family aren't always the safe place to be or the safe place to talk to. And I think they're similar as like when you go through sobriety, your friends and family sometimes are that can be the worst people to talk to. Absolutely. About like your mother they, and your sister and your best yeah, friend, they're just almost too close yes. with it. Yes. And you have so much embedded in whatever the relationship is and how you yeah. look to them that it's really hard for them to be your honest place and your objective yes. perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because um, yeah, they bring their own opinions, their own agendas sometimes. And here you are trying to figure out your next few steps and you know, you, you come to them, maybe you're super excited about something and they kind of shut you down. So I think that that is where in particular the sketchbook um, and having a coach too. I think having a coach to go through uh, and help you sort of rebuild and reclaim your life is mm-hmm. so important um, yeah. because it's hard to do it by yourself. It really is. Yeah. And so when you talk about starting with journaling, like are there particular topics that most women who've been through divorce or are trying to rebuild or reclaim their life where they start? There are definitely themes. Um, yeah, like I work on um, shame and guilt are always big, huge ones that we ca- I think we just carry those around as women. Um, you know, we're always sort of being told what we're not doing or what we're supposed to be doing. So we, I do do a lot of work with shame and guilt mm. um, and letting go of the shame and guilt of going through a divorce. I mean, you know, it's 2021. I feel like we need to leave some of that sort of old school ideas of what divorce is and what that means. If you're a woman who's gone through a divorce, we need to leave that behind and we need to move on. Um, And also a lot of shame and guilt around kids and how are my kids affected? And that's, that's a hard one, but I, I find that that comes up a lot. So we work through that sort of like tangentially or like on the sort of connected to that is, you know, your relationship with your ex and how that kind of, comes through um, with your feelings and your emotions and healing that as much as we can heal that. But just so there's sort of like at least some sort of, you know, give and take between the two of you. I don't, I don't do couples counseling or like therapy or anything like that, but it's that idea that you're allowed to have your emotions. You're allowed to work through them. And we're going to do that together. And then you can go out and hopefully have a better relationship with, you know, the people that you need to. Yeah. And I can imagine that sort of runs the gamut of um, boundaries, setting up better boundaries, but also anger, right? Anger, resentment. Anger, rage. Um, And those are really hard emotions for women to let go of. Oh, yeah. Because I think we're we're told we're not supposed to be angry or we're not supposed to be full of rage. And you're absolutely 100% allowed to have all those emotions. But it's how you sometimes and where you let them out and how you let them out. So I when I remember when I was going through my divorce, my that's where my sketchbook became the place um, where I let that go. And I have a whole exercise I take women through called rage writing. 
And it is, it's just you raging, you get all your rage on the page. It's like, you know, we set the timer for five minutes and it's completely unedited, just dumping your rage. Um, and then, you know, we sort of sit and, you know, just let that sink into our bodies after. And then um, I'll, I'll say, you know, get some paint out, paint over it, put a beautiful image over it. Like just that idea of like, okay, I needed to do that. It felt so good to get that out. And now I'm going to move on. Yeah. And I can imagine like having a safe place to do that or even being encouraged to do that, right? Because it's so much easier to come home and drown it out or to stuff it down and let it seethe. And, you know, I always say your emotions are valid, right? Any emotion you have is real. It is just the actual stuffing down of it that lets you stop processing it. And, you know, telling yourself that it's not okay. You know, of course, it's like, how do you let that out in a safe place? And what are healthy coping tools? But, you know, the all those emotions, they're just red flags, that something needs to be addressed, right? Resentment, anger, hurt, loneliness. It's like, I always think of it as like the canary in a coal mine, like, hey, there's something here that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I was just talking to a friend today about this idea of pay attention to what pisses you off, Mm. because that's like a really big signal, like that, hey, maybe I should look at that because it just keeps coming up. And if I don't deal with it, yeah, it's just going to fester. And there's even like this emotion wheel. Um, I actually have it in my online course because whenever you want to drink, you know, the first question I ask women is, are you hungry? (laughs) Have you eaten? Because that's like the biggest trigger. But the second one is, why do you want to drink? What emotion are you feeling that Mm. is making you want to drink? And it could be, I want to celebrate. I'm proud. I'm excited. I can't wait to see my friends. And it could be loneliness, resentment, overwhelm, all that stuff. And there are actually different solutions, other coping tools for every single one of them. But the first step is, okay, what's the actual emotion? that I'm feeling? Is it social anxiety, right? Because there's a toolbox. And we're so used to like using a hammer, which is bottle of wine, bottle of wine. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I love that. I mean, I love that image. That's exactly what it is. It's like that one stop shopping thing or the one solution. And you when you dig down into it, it doesn't it's not getting you anywhere. You're just stuck. Yeah. So you've talked about rebuilding and reclaiming. And I know the first step you said, that you work with women is shame and guilt and anger and rage. And once you kind of get through that, that portion, what's Mm -hmm. next? Then we sort of move into like that authenticity piece. And who are like, who are you? Who were you before somebody told you who you had to be? Like, Mm -hmm. who were you, you know, before? And I think sometimes we go back to like pre-marriage and even pre-kids, like, who were you? Like, what did you love to do? Like, what were your things that made you happy? What made you sad? What did you want to be when you grew up? Like all those things that just get, you know, hidden under layer, under layer, right? As you sort of take on everybody else's baggage. Yeah. As you go through your life, like your stuff gets squashed down. So we do a lot of work with sort of peeling all those layers off. And then we see what we, we sort of see what we get to. And then there's different different ways at the end of that process to sort of figure out where you want to go next. Mm-hmm. I love that because I mean I do a lot of work around core values, 
and mm. you know, getting through what are your actual values? What do you actually care about in your life yes. versus which ones have you adopted that were never really yes. yours? They came from your parents or they came from society. They're telling you what's yeah. important and what you should value and achieve in your life. And it's definitely going back to like what originally made you happy and the yes. idea of like unbecoming you know, um, Brene Brown that. talks about the midlife unraveling, but it's like, not yes. that you're becoming anything. It's actually you're unbecoming everything that was never really you that you layered on yes. to protect yourself from like criticism or judgment or, you know, being ostracized. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That And that's so interesting because that goes back to when I quit drinking, you know, about midway through that first month, I was like, this is the last piece to piece of my old identity that I need to get rid of. Like it was that powerful. I'm like, that was the old me. That was like the, when I was in the marriage, me, like the new me doesn't do that anymore. And that was just a really powerful thing that just sort of came out of nowhere to me when I, when I, when I was going through it, but yeah, that those layers that are not yours to or those suitcases that are not yours to carry around. Right. Oh, like, yeah. We're so yeah. good at just picking up other people's stuff. Um, and I think people pleasing comes into that. Oh, yeah. And all those kinds of things where we just want everybody to be happy. Or like overcompensating, right? You're yeah. overachieving, you're people right. pleasing, you have this right. guilt and shame or regret, or you feel judgments. You're like, I am going to go so far above and beyond to be beyond reproach in other yes. areas. And I'm saying this from knowledge. This is what I did yeah. with my drinking that. Yeah you never let yourself relax and be true to yourself. Mm, that is so true. Yeah. So that, that is what a lot of women, I, cause I a lot of women that I work with, they are kind of, some of them are at that stage in their life too, where the kids are maybe in high school or they're going to college. So they are trying to reinvent themselves anyhow, but now it looks different because there's no partner there with them anymore. Mm -hmm. So now, what are they going to do? Where are they going to end up? Yeah. And so what is that reinvention and rebuilding? Like, what are some of the things you've seen your clients do that have inspired you? Or, you know, is it more of a quiet internal process for most people? I'd say it's about 50-50. It just really depends. You know, it's so individual. I don't, there is sort of like no dramatic unveiling at the end of it. But I feel I've had a few clients who uh, one woman had always wanted to go spend a month in um, Bali. And she did that. She ended up sort of just getting herself, you know, sometimes when you put it out to the universe, I'm not like super woo woo, but I think when you do sometimes put something out in the universe or you, you make a, she ended up doing a, a page in her sketchbook and it was like, it, I think it just sort of set things in motion for her. Like it came out of her and surprised her that she wanted to do this. So then she ended up doing it. And then I had another woman who got back into writing and ended up getting um, an essay published in an anthology. So wow. I think it can be like, a sim I mean, not that those are simple things, but I feel like it's those things that they've carried around with them for 10, 20 years. It's and like then, these dreams that you've never allowed yeah. yourself to have. I mean, that's actually one of the reasons that my coaching practice and my podcast is named what it is. It's Hello Someday. Right, yes. Because yeah. there are so many things that we're like, 
when I am able to leave my job, aka I've made whatever amount of money I right. put in my mind, or when my kids are older, or when, you know, all of these things happen. And right. it's, you know, you can start taking small steps towards that today. Yes, and absolutely. I'm a little blue in that, like, I'm, I'm a, I know, just thinking of your vision boards, I know you have a garage full of vision boards. So. Oh, my God, like 25 of them. And I have three in my office. But What's been on those vision boards continues to change. But in my mind, it's so easy in January to say, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And then life just takes over. Life is busy, other responsibilities, other schedules. And if you don't have that goal front and center, if you don't like, I used to go down to my kitchen, grab my coffee and just sit there for a couple minutes looking at my vision board on, you know, on my kitchen counter and be like, oh, yeah. I want to do that. It's out in the universe. It's front and center. And inevitably, your choices will start to be directed towards what you want in small ways and big ways. So that Bali thing is, you know, amazing. And then I always think of these divine breadcrumbs, like roads lead onto roads. So take a step towards, I'm going to do this thing that kind of excites me and lights me up and is just for me. You can't go there and be unchanged. It's going to lead you to a different road. And that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had some women who've decided that they didn't want, like, didn't want to be a lawyer anymore. I need to figure out, you know, I've always wanted to be a teacher. So putting those little, she didn't quit her job right away, but it just, she was verbalized that. And that had always been something that had been shut down in her marriage. Like, ridiculous. Why would you you know, leave your yeah. lot, lot practice. Yeah. And most of my clients, you know, are in their forties, fifties. That is a big, powerful time for women. I think to reinvent themselves. It's like that second or, or sometimes even it's like a third reinvention at, at that point. But I think that it can be, and that's why I talk about like how divorce does not have to be soul sucking. It can be really like soul defining if you are able to sort of make that space for yourself. And I think being sober while you're doing it adds that extra layer of, of just, I don't know, yumminess. I don't know if that's the word I want to say, but you know what I mean? Like it just adds that extra layer of, of goodness to the whole thing. Well, it sort of forces you to expand your universe of hobbies and sometimes people and different, you know, just activities. Like, I love yeah. that you told me, which is incredible and amazing, that you went to Mexico with your college girlfriends at 30 days sober, which is amazing. And I can imagine was for a lot of people would have been, I can't stop drinking because I'm going to Mexico right. with my girlfriends at 30 days. And I want you to tell us about it. But you told me that you just felt so good and so much clarity mentally, emotionally, and physically. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's also part of what, when you walk away from alcohol, even at a really difficult time, you finally are clear enough to think through what you want and to emotionally regulate what's going on with you so that you can do what's right for you. Yeah. I think that was that there's no more hiding when you get rid of it. It's just, here you are, here I am, here's this emotion I'm having. Um, I better figure out a way to to deal with it or to process it or talk to somebody about it or write about it or, or go for a walk about it. Like I think that there's alcohol just hides all that and it just levels out your life. And I know 
I think it's Brene Brown who talks about how it numbs everything, joy, beauty, all the good things with all the bad things that you're trying to avoid. So I think that it was just a time when it was like the world felt so fresh and new Mm. in some weird way. And it was hard. It was hard and it wasn't hard to go to Mexico with my girlfriends. Luckily, my girlfriends are super cool and they're not crazy big drinkers like I was. So they were like, no problem. But um, yeah, was, I so what did you do time. instead? Like, because I assume every vacation you had taken previously. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one day at a time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. was sort of a drinking vacation. I know mine, mine all were. So was there a place trigger or? No, I guess I'd never been to this resort before. So that helped. And I guess also the fact that my girlfriends weren't, it was an all you can drink, all you can eat resort. So my girlfriends though, weren't, you know, weren't going crazy. So that helped too. We spent the whole day on the beach. We ended up under, um, it's called a palapa. Yeah. Oh yeah. We just, the three of us just hung out on that palapa all day and talked and laughed. And I mean, I did smoke two packs of cigarettes while I was there, which, you know, I hope my mom doesn't listen to this podcast, but (laughs) um, that was just, I knew it's, I knew I needed something, I guess. Yeah. You know, and that's what I resorted to. Um, But I I did not smoke when I continued to get home. I just knew that I I think it's just whatever helps you get through not drinking and breaking. It was my first time being with people for those 30 days. I pretty much secluded myself in my house. Um, So I was fine when COVID hit. I had already gone through all that. Um, I'm really good at just secluding myself. So I did that for 30 days. No problem. So that was my first sort of entry into the real world again. Um, And it was in Mexico at an all you can drink resort. But um, 
And I think just being honest with my friends and being like, this is why I'm not drinking because it's fucking up my life. And I, I want my life to be different. Mm-hmm. I had a harder time telling the resort people. I had to, I actually had to keep telling them that I was allergic to alcohol. They did not understand why I wouldn't be drinking. Yeah. So every server, I had to say, no, I'm allergic. Like, don't bring it around me. So um, I had a harder time telling the resort staff. Yeah. I wasn't drinking. Well, and it's important to be clear with people about like, no, I don't want anything with alcohol in it. Um, You know, I, I just love being like, I want this with no alcohol in it. And typically they can do that, you know, no problem. But I can assume if there is a language barrier or something, it's a lot. Yeah. Well, the funniest thing is uh, one day on the beach I ordered, I'm like, I'd like a a virgin margarita. And he's like, oh, you need a a lemonade? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I guess that's really what I want is a lemonade. It's just funny. I know. It's kind of funny. I actually went out to dinner with my husband just a couple days ago and went to a very new Italian place that was lovely. And I was looking at the the list and said, oh, what great drinks do you have that are non-alcoholic? I don't drink alcohol. And so we kind of went to the through the list. And he mentioned, Oh, we can do a faux mojito. And I was like, that's awesome. Non-alcoholic mojitos are my absolute favorite. Yeah. And he brought it and said, Oh, here's your fake mojito. And I like turned to my husband. I was like, what the fuck? You know, like, why is it fake? No, but he was like, there's a lot of education to be done. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of, I'm sort of at the point. It just kind of annoys me. I'm like, what the fuck right. is wrong with these people? I yeah. find actually that servers are way less educated and kind of clueless than bartenders. Bartenders are actually pretty amazing. And I've had some of my best conversations with bartenders, you know, don't recommend it going up to the bar in your early days and sitting there, but just being like, Hey, I don't drink alcohol. What else can you make for me? And trust me, they have seen enough drunk people. They're, they're like, awesome. Cool. And a lot of them take it as a challenge. They're like, I hear some different flavors. I I want to be creative and have a conversation about it. So I think that's really cool. So I know you also talked about a lot of the women who you work with have older kids and are going through that like empty nest period of time as well. Yeah, they are. And I think that that's, um, that is sometimes the piece too, where I, I think that sobriety is such an important, it's so important to bring up at that stage. I think that a lot of people, not just women, but that empty nest stage, it's like, great, we can have wine all the time. We can, you know, we can really let go when the kids are gone. So I think, and then especially when the, you know, when you're divorced and you are heading into an empty nester and my daughter is going to college this fall. So I'm, (laughs) I'm almost there. I got my son is younger, so I have him still for a while, but I think that that can be a time when you're filling up that loneliness with alcohol. So I really work with uh, finding ways and to deal with that loneliness before you, before alcohol is the answer. Yeah. And is it, I mean, I found with women who are leaving drinking behind that sort of a structure and a routine, not something that you have to do, but yes. something that is fairly regularly on your calendar that you want to do, that you can look forward yes. to is really important because that sort of unstructured time is kind of a period of time where you're like, I'm not doing anything. And you just haven't yeah. discovered all the other things you could be doing. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that time to pay, you know, it, it varies for every woman, right? Like sometimes the morning time is that unstructured time that where you can get into feelings of loneliness, anger, boredom, all that stuff, or sometimes it's after, after work or after dinner. So I think that it, that totally depends on the, the person, but I think it's a time. And that's where that authenticity piece that we work on. Uh, I work on with my clients comes into play because that really helps them discover, Hey, you know what? I always wanted to be a vet, but hey, maybe I can go work a, you know, one woman that um, I know she went and started working as a vet tech or studying to become a vet tech because I have this time. I have this, you know, space is freedom. I'm going to, you know, start doing something different. So I think a lot of women, that empty nest thing can seem so scary and lonely, but it can also just be, again, that time of reinventing and figuring out, you know, stuff for yourself, really. Yeah. And what are the other, are there any other exercises you take women through to get to that authenticity or to get to that reinvention or rebuilding piece? They're really, most of the ones that I do for that are all like sort of journal prompts. We spend a lot of time just sort of dumping stuff on the page. I have a lot of specific questions that get to that. Um, We do a lot of like, uh, you know, sort of imagining the future. What, what do you wish you could tell yourself five years from now, if you knew what you knew now, like that kind of a thing, sort of imagining where they are. Um, And I think just really being honest. And I think that's what's so great about the sketchbook is that you can be really honest on that page because no one is going to see it. You know, you're not putting on a show for some, but you're not trying to think of what, you know, like I never look at it. I'm not going to give them a grade or a gold star. It's just you on that page. So you can be really honest with, no, this sucks. I don't want to be doing this anymore. Or, <laughs> you know, this is where I see myself. And, and maybe that's the same with the vision board, but those super ridiculous things that you think, oh my God, if somebody knew I wanted to do that, they'd make fun of me or whatever, but that's your place. So you get to put whatever you want in that space. Yeah. And I think we don't even realize how often we edit ourselves and not just ourselves, but our dreams and our desires. And it starts when you're really young, you know, there's this, we all sort of internalize this inner critic voice from when we're six or seven or eight, Mm -hmm. either from like, people at school or our parents or just society in general, where you're sort of taught how you're supposed to act, what gets you social acceptance, what gets you positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement. And nobody wants to be criticized or vulnerable or, you know, when you live with your parents, you really have zero power, um, especially when you're young. So you internalize that and sort of edit everything from, the people you hang out with to your hobbies, to what jobs you pursue, to going to college or not going to college and who you marry sometimes. Mm -hmm. And not that, not that all of that is bad or that you've been doing that all the time, but just the, the process of editing what options are available to us based on what's Mm -hmm. socially acceptable or what your friends think is cool or what you internally have thought, this is what gets me social acceptance and money and security and love. Um, Yeah. And I mean, and divorce. So I think that that stigma around divorce that, I mean, sometimes in some groups, it's not socially acceptable still. Like I feel that there can be a little bit of 
people don't know what to do with you. Like, who is this single woman? I call myself an indie mama. I love that. Mama. Because I, that's who I am. I'm not married, divorced, single. I'm an indie mom. Independent, so, um, right? Yeah, Even independent. categories are kind of crap. Yeah. So I think that that, but that's a big, huge part of it. And I think that that can be, it's, it is scary to reinvent yourself at age 40 or 50, but it's also super exciting. So I think that that um, can just be a space that women can, you know, step into. Yeah. Uh, but that's, I think when you're working with a coach and I know obviously the, you know, like the women you work with, with sobriety, like it just makes it someone understands you and not everybody understands you post-divorce. Um, sometimes it can be hard to relate to people who are married or to be the only, you know, only single person at a dinner party, or sometimes not even to get the invitation to that dinner party because it's a couple's thing and you're not a couple who, what, what do we do with you? So I think that, and sobriety is like that too. I think, I think there's so many parallels between the two. That's why I talk about recovering from divorce a lot, because I think you do have to recover from divorce or recover from your marriage and make yourself and get yourself into that really healthy place before you can uh, really do anything else. I think. And so what are the ways that you've found that women have been able to work through that stigma, which I'm sure is, is very real. And sometimes it's just because people don't know what to say to you or what you need or, you know, or they're just like, we have, we're friends with your ex too. So how do we navigate that? Yeah. I think that a lot of, uh, there's a few different spaces I think that women find. I mean, I think sometimes if you're in, sometimes they have a group of friends who are single. So maybe who they were never married. Um, or they knew them through work or, or whatever. So sometimes they can get into that group. Um, I know a lot of women I know also, um, there's a lot of meetups uh, on that meetup.com or whatever it is that they'll meet people that way um, or be included in a group. And I think that, you know, those can be good because it's just like, that's, we're going hiking on Saturday. Yeah. You know, let everybody meet in this parking lot. So it's not um, there's no alcohol involved, first of all. And then there's also just like it's a, a different, it's around an interest, which I think when you are in that newly divorced space, you are trying to figure out different interests or, or different things you like. Or I used to like hiking, but I don't know if I like it anymore. So I think that those can be really good. And there's a few things online. Um, and I think that's been a really good thing. I think out of COVID, I think a lot of things obviously did go online. I hope that some of them do stay online, like a lot of book clubs and a lot of, um, I mean, uh, the sobriety space online is so thriving. Yeah. And it's just nice to have that support. And I think the more open you are, I think to gain out of your neighborhood or even just, you know, going to a restaurant by yourself. Like I lived in New York city for 15 years. So I was used to going out to a a restaurant by myself because there would often be other, you know, single diners. This is even when I was married. Sometimes I'd go out after work if, you know, my husband was traveling or something. So I think that um, just getting yourself sort of like that courage to be like, Hey, I'm going to go sit in a movie theater by myself. And no no one is really watching you, (laughs) you know, but I think that you sometimes think that everybody's watching you and you're going to be the only one there. But I think just the more you do little things like that, yeah, then that stigma starts to not 
be there so much. It's like the fear is worse than the experience. Doing it for the the anxiety sort of before is worse. And absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, you know, the way you describe it in terms of being open and joining things and just sort of taking that first step is all about your world expanding, not contracting and, you know, being proactive, not being a victim, you know, reclaiming your power. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you get to decide, you know, what concerts you want to go to or now that things are opening up, I have all this stuff in my head, like museums or all these things you can go to and just uh, see what happens. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I just went to Maui with my daughter a month ago and I was actually, we had never just gone on a vacation by ourselves, but it was actually lovely to not have to consider what my husband and son would want to do, where they would want to eat, what schedule, you know, even they're just moods and emotions. And I'm such a people pleaser and kind of sensitive to other people. I sort of really bend over backwards to make sure there's harmony and everyone's happy. And again, Mm -hmm. it's all that self-editing and it can be really free. My daughter and I are pretty chill and we're on the same wavelength and, you know, she's seven, but you know, we're just, we kind of like the same things. And so- Um, it was really easy and I was like, and, and emotionally easy and that can be lovely too. Right. That sounds great. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. And I feel like solo traveling is so like, if you go on that first trip by yourself, it's so empowering. Like just, it doesn't even, it can just be a hotel room in your city. It doesn't have to be, but I think like that first post-divorce trip can be so yeah. Amazing. And like picking the Airbnb that you want with the aesthetic you want in the town you want. I actually yeah. have always enjoyed eating by myself. I, I love people watching. I bring a book or I bring something to read or yeah. I talk to the waitress. And so I have always loved that. And I've also really always loved solo travel. Um, and in fact, I know that traveling um, without alcohol, alcohol-free vacations, alcohol-free travel is a big thing that that women listening to this are interested in. They've told me that. So my very next interview um, is actually with a woman um, who does sober travel trips and arranges them. And sort of that's her business after she quit drinking. She quit drinking in South Korea and she loves to travel and just super adventurous. But she's doing city vacations and self-care vacations and also adventurous vacations and she recovers, amazing. has amazing retreats. Um, I'm going to Mexico in February. I'm, I'm so excited jealous. about that. And so there's a lot out there. You can do it yes. your neighboring town or a place where you really want to go. And you yeah. can do more adventurous stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That sounds great. I love all of that. Yeah. Well, so tell me, I'm sure there are women who are going to want to follow you on Instagram or learn more about what you do you know, where can people get in touch with you? Um, so I have a website, thecreativebadass.com. And I have a blog on there and you can read about me and read about working with me. And then um, on, I'm on Instagram the most. That's my favorite place is a visual, a visual art. The sketchbook is such a big part of what I do. So I love Instagram, even though the algorithm drives me crazy, but I just work, work through it, whatever. And that's at, um, create a badass divorce on Instagram. Perfect. And if anyone's listening to this and is just in that really hard time of 
separation or divorce or sort of struggling with themselves? Do you have anything you want to share with them if they're listening? I'm going to just go back to like that one day at a time thing. Like it is truly one day at a time. And it's that one hour, just putting together hours or minutes or, or days. And eventually they add up to something. And this is not your new normal. Like those early days of a, of a divorce, of a separation, that is not your new normal. That's just right now. You haven't discovered your new normal yet. So hold on, DM me on Instagram. If you need like a little extra boost, I'm super responsive on my DMs. Um, and yeah, reach out to someone, talk to someone, but it, this is not your new normal. Hold yeah, it, it gets better. So much better. You, and you can't even imagine that's the whole thing when you're in this stage, um, just like early sobriety, you can't think of anything, but you can't, I look back and I, it's like a different person, different, everything you don't, you can't even imagine where you're going to end up or yeah. where you're going to be in a year or so. Yeah. In early sobriety, I always um, ask women to every morning when they're, when they're sort of laying in bed in the morning, just ask themselves, how can I take care of myself today? Mm, and just kind of question. look through, you know, you do a schedule scan, mm. you sort of do a body and emotion scan and say, okay, am I, am I tired? Am I anxious? Am I overwhelmed? Am I lonely? Am I bored? I'm going to pick one thing that fits into my schedule and my yes. responsibilities for me. And you set that intention. So you don't get to the end of the day and are like, right. I've had nothing. I've done nothing. You know, it could be a walk to Starbucks with a podcast. It could be sitting in a park. It yeah. could be calling a friend on your commute, but you've done one thing to take care of yourself. I love that. Yeah. And I think that it is, it's just, you don't have to get it all done. Just, you know, like you cannot get it all done. The first, I know the first six months you want to make all the changes and all the things and you, you can't, you just need to do that one thing at a time. That is such a beautiful um, way to end your day. I love that. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I know people listening to this have gotten so much out of it. So I really appreciate thank your you. work and your time. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad that we connected. Me thank too. you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. 
So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us, they have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.